Welcome back to episode number 214 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In this episode, we are discussing the FIKE Explosion Protection Partner Checklist. We're doing that with Jeff Davis, Senior Explosion Safety Consultant with FIKE Corporation. Jeff, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. We're really excited to have you. Jeff is a licensed professional engineer with a degree in chemical and biomolecular engineering at Georgia Tech. He's over 15 years experience as a consultant, much of that focused on combustible dust, current and past member of several NFPA committees on this topic. And we've never had him on the podcast before, but I've talked to Jeff lots of times. We've had him present at our conferences. We've had him do webinars at Dust Safety Academy. He is really a wealth of knowledge in combustible dust and hazard analysis and explosion protection and a lot of other things. So really excited to have you on the podcast today, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. So in this episode, we're discussing this FIKE Explosion Protection Partner Checklist. And this was kind of an interesting thing. The team at FIKE had reached out to me quite a while ago now with some questions around, you know, when people ask for explosion protection, <laughs> what, what else should they be asking about? And what kind of things do they need to also consider? We had a couple of meetings back and forth and brainstormed some of these ideas that went into this partner checklist that was really meant for them. And I'm going to let Jeff describe it a bit. From my interpretation, it was really meant as something to, to put out into the community. People could kind of use and look and go, okay, check, check, check. My explosion protection partner has these attributes or has these capabilities that are going to support me outside of just the equipment, but all into my, you know, my entire combustible dust safety program. And so we sort of put this thing together and it is now available. We have a link in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 214 for this episode. And that's where we're going through today. So we're going to talk about why Fike felt the need to create this type of document, how it's meant to be used, some of the elements of the checklist, and some examples from Jeff's experience, what can happen when some of these elements are not considered. So Jeff, before we get into it, what is your current role and what kind of work do you do in industries today? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm senior explosion safety consultant, as you said, my title. So what that is, is I'm, I'm part of the uh, consulting team at FIKE. Something kind of started up maybe four years ago by Adam and uh, Bruce at FIKE on kind of to really kind of be the connecting bridge for the other parts of FIKE. So, I mean, we're focused predominantly with the explosion protection or EP group. That's why I say EP, it's explosion protection. But our role is to, we can still be a liaison to kind of our pressure relief and fire protection groups as well. But really, it's really to help out with our our, our EP managers on, on protection and kind of help be the connecting force between our dust lab and the, the EP managers and for our clients as well for their equipment. And Predominantly, kind of what I'm doing day in and day out is going to be those the dust hazard analysis, the DHAs, the risk analysis. We do some process hazard analysis. That's kind of predominantly what we're doing. We work with all within kind of all industries handling combustible dust. We've got representatives on all the NFPA combustible dust committees. And yeah, when you say Bruce, that's Bruce, Bruce McClelland, who we had on the podcast way back in episode 108. Yes, yep. Which would have been two years ago. <laughs> Him and, and Jim Vingerhoots talking about the dual flap isolation valve release by Fike, which is probably about time to actually get them back on to have an update about explosion isolation, but that's probably a different topic. Um, and Adam Batts, who I think is the 
manager of global consultancy or global consultancy manager or something along those lines. Correct. As well. You talked about a couple of key areas here. You got, and I'm sure these are going to come up, <laughs> explosion protection, hazard identification, like what materials do I have and are they combustible dust, hazard analysis, testing, those sort of items. I think this is probably going to come into the backstory, but why, you know, from the fike side, what kind of things were happening that just you said, okay, well, you need to create something for folks. And why the the need to create this explosion protection checklist or the explosion protection partner checklist come to fruition? Where did that come from? Sure. It was, take a step back even further, though, talk about, so, I mean, at fike we do pressure relief fire protection and, and the explosion protection. And from what's in the past would always be someone's coming in and be it an OEM or an end user that's going to request explosion protection equipment and we provide it. And you, you find that disconnect in there of, well, what is this process? Why do they need this? Is this the correct product for them? And, and that's really where we felt this need for this explosion protection partner checklist. So, I mean, first and foremost, this checklist is about educating the, the consumer, the end user, also contractors and OEMs as well. From my experience in industry and doing these DHAs and that, it's so common to go into a facility. And one of the first questions I'm going to ask people is, okay, do you currently have explosion protection? What do you have? Are you maintaining it? And more often than not, they're going to say, what is that? Or no, we don't have any of that. I mean, then I'll, I'll do the kind of walk through the facility. I'll, I'll find equipment with explosion protection on it. It'll have be it explosion vents or flameless venting or suppression. I'll say, well, there's an explosion vent. They say, oh, well, we, you know, we didn't know what that was. It was just on the equipment when we bought it. So, I mean, that's really where this started from is about educating everyone. And this explosion protection, it, I mean, it can be complicated. It, it's, it's, it's not a one size fits all. I mean, in some cases it's, can be kind of a one size fits most, but is that appropriate for the specific case? So really we want to educate everyone here and be that on explosion protection for if you've got a new plant, new processes, new equipment, or is it a retrofit or add-ons to existing equipment and things like that? And also even involvement from the customer, how, how involved are they going to be on this? Or are they, do they want to rely on a, a contractor, a vendor, OEM? I think those are some of the elements that kind of come out in this checklist. And I mean, you said something there, it's really interesting and important. So you have the, you know, the one size fits most, the one size fits all kind of category, but regardless of, of the fit of the equipment, it's probably a good idea to know what it does. Absolutely. <laughs> which is, which is another piece, right? Just putting it on. Right. <laughs> and, and not having somebody who knows on site what that's for can lead to, we'll call them challenges. I think of the Nova Scotia dust collector program where they're finding vents pointed at picnic tables and stuff at high schools and, and that sort of stuff. Like, you know, having that education component is, is an important consideration. So it, it is about finding the right equipment, but also then making sure that it's installed correctly is a piece of it, but also having the right education component, the right management systems in place to, to ensure that it's going to be functioned properly and safe. And when it does um, get called into service. Right. So this checklist itself, again, you can download it at dustsafetyscience.com slash 214 for this episode. We'll have links to it. You can find it on the, the Fike website, fike.com. Uh, it is not a tremendously long document. It's four pages of material. It has a, a couple of different sections to it. And we're going to get into what those sections and what some of those elements are in a moment. How is it meant to be used by either an, 
an end user, an OEM, a consultant, when would they you know, look to use this? And then how would you expect that they would actually take it out and, and start to use it in their work? It's a resource to, to educate them. And so it's kind of broken into four areas and we kind of give, we get some example questions in each section for, be that those equipment providers or the end user or consultants. And all these sections may not pertain to everyone. It kind of depends on, on where they're at in their state in the EP journey. If you've already done some of the risk analysis, the DHA, you've done some of that, or if you've done it in-house and you've got the, the teams in place that have this. I mean, an example of recently worked with somebody that we thought they needed a DHA, found out they're covered under OSHA's process safety management PSM program. So they incorporated everything into that. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll take a step back. You don't, you don't need the risk. You've done that. And kind of above and beyond what you needed to do. So then it's, you kind of like, well, well we don't need that one step. So let's look at these other steps and what do you provide? What is your equipment? What is, and kind of how do you align with us? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I like those elements because when you look at it, it's got, you know, the different areas, the description of it. I'll also read the first one and we'll talk about the different sections, but, you know, subject matter expertise, organizational insight and familiarity with my industry, production process and common ha- hazards areas. And then like a section to fill that out. And, and the, the reason that's important is you're a metal manufacturing company or you're doing metal processing, grinding, that sort of stuff. It's going to look different than a grain handling facility. It's going to look different than 3D printing with nano titanium. And it's going to look different than pharmaceutical where they're charging into vessels and you know may have hybrid, potential hybrid mixture conditions. So you want to make sure that your partner that you have in this has that experience. If they've only done grain, then you know maybe you want to, talk and, and understand their understanding of nano metals. Right. <laughs> and the part that I really like is you have the fill in area, but then you also have these example questions that can be asked at the bottom of each page. So in terms of this organizational insight, you know, if you're stumped and not sure how to tackle this, it's, it has the question. So ask, you know, what are some common hazard areas in my processes that you worked with such as mine? What can you tell me about the explosibility of the process material and facilities like mine? Like some sort of seed questions that the plant manager or contractor or OEM individual that's reaching out can use to start to identify some of these things. I really like how that's laid down. So I've, I've mentioned a couple of pieces of the checklist itself. Like just give us a breakdown. Let's zoom out there. I think there's four areas. What are the four areas? And then whatever you think is I probably won't get through all the items in this podcast episode, but the, the important high level ones, you know, what, what are those and, and why are they important? Sure. Yeah. So we have said that first one's that subject matter expertise and uh, you covered that really well, Chris, on what that was. And I, I got a good example of that when you're going to ask, when you're asked, if you're looking for a consultant or equipment provider, that what's your expertise in here? And, and I know of an example in the last six months or so where someone was reaching out to us for, for a DHA and it was kind of a novel process with a catalyst we weren't familiar with. The metals industry, we've done a lot of work in the metals. We've got experts on that, but it was kind of a novel process with a different type of catalyst that we weren't that really wasn't something we had, had had dealt with much. And I mean, we were upfront about that with them and they, they ultimately were able to find a consultant who actually had an expert in that specific field. And that's really important to make sure you're getting the right, the right fit, the right partner that understands your process and asking those questions. Do you work in this industry? Do you have examples of that? What standards, what, what committees and standards are you on like NFPA and, and that? And I'll add to there before we go to the next one, because I got a funds, well, funds, one way to describe it, I guess. We had a, we had a request through Dust Age Professionals for 
flame arrester installation, actually verification of a flame arrester installation on a naval ship. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, well, that, you know, it's, it's not really combustible. I don't think it was combustible dust. Like they were inline flame arresters and maybe looking at, there's all kinds of things that come up with flame arresters, detonation and DDT, detonation transition and stuff. So it's like, well, you're in the right spot because we'll get you an answer. <laughs> it just might take a little bit longer. So I think within a week, we were able to find through DSP, through Dust Professionals, a partner that also had people that could specialize in naval architecture and sign off on, on inline flame arresters in that area. So that's an example of if you just hired your DHA consultant and then brought them. I couldn't imagine that you got to the point where you're boarding the ship without having the question answered that that's not his experience level or her experience level. Right. But if you were, then you might be sadly, you know, you might not be in a great state when you're trying to figure out this flame rester that's inside and, and what's going on there. We, won't, we don't have to get into the details what a flame rester is, but I actually have a small one on my desk here just from, uh, from an event I recently was at the company and i don't remember the name um handed some of them out so big chunk of metal that sucks energy out of out of flames um in line so anyway that's the summary i had but that's the point i want to put there is matching the expertise is really important to get somebody on site in that case it would hopefully be obvious but in many cases it's not obvious and they might miss something at the end of the day right okay so we have subject matter expertise what other high level sections uh so the second part we've got is the business alignment so not just do they provide explosion protection or consulting we need, but does it meet your your business's logistical and budgetary needs? And logistical especially can be important this this day and age. So I mean, the questions here. I mean, what equipment are you making? Um, are you do you manufacture it or is it outsourced? Where is it manufactured? And like turnaround times on things. I mean, that's I mean that that hit that's hit us. It's hit everyone. And I mean across all manufacturing industries of being supply chain issues. So those are very important to understand logistically what what equipment they're going to provide or what services they provide and, and timelines. Can they meet your timeline that you need? What is your, is this a rush and needed as soon as possible? Or is this something you're looking at months down the line? Will you align on that? And then also budgetary is, obviously that's important to everyone. Cost is a factor. Can you meet your needs and even prioritize what order that things would be taken in to, to meet your budgetary needs. Yeah. And a good example here might be a small wood shop that may consider that they don't have the resources to do certain types of explosion protection and working with them to understand and identify what, what can be done. Uh, I, we've had cases through dust air professionals where the wood shop didn't realize that they, they were under say the exemptions or within the exemptions through NFPA. And so, you know, ha- working with someone who's knowledgeable about those standards is, not a good, like we're not trying to, we want to go in and educate and still create safe systems, but also understand what, you know, what protection is needed at the different levels that it uh, can be implemented at. Right. I mean, it, it's important to, I think we'll, we'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but important to, if we're looking at explosion protection, is it really needed? Is this what's needed here? Or is it someone selling me equipment? Are there alternatives, especially for, like you say, wood shops, and we do do work on some of those and and certain food industries that are, I mean, small facilities with smaller budgets for these kind of things that what is going to be cost effective for them that is going to be safe. Yeah. So that, 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 that plays a big role. So that's the second area. Anything else on business alignment before we jump into the third one? I think that one's, I think we're good with that one. All right. What's the third section in the checklist? 
So third is, and I might be a little biased here, because I'm going to say it's the most important, um, is risk assessment. It's Jeff's, it's Jeff's favorite section, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, that I, this is where I'm the expert on. When we talk about explosion protection equipment. I, I learn from a lot, of, a lot of the people at FIKE and talking with the guys in the, that sell the equipment, the engineers who make it. And so I learned from that, but this is risk assessments, what I've been doing for the last 15 years. So here we're talking about those, that dust hazard analysis, or if you're in Europe, that explosion protection document, EPD. So this is performing that. And so here it's, it's very important to, again, it's not one size fits all, is to, to make sure you've got a provider that's familiar with your type of facility and your hazards. But it's also very important to understand what is, what is the end product that you're that you're getting out of that? What is the DHA? What approach do they use for it? Is it risk-based? Is it just NFPA conformance-based? Because it's, it's very important to understand what that output is gonna be. That is it, some, is it what you're expecting it to be? Is it something that you can use? Or is it something that the recommendation, their first recommendation is hire someone to interpret this for you? That's really important. And that this is also what's gonna lead to kind of those other steps on looking for that explosion protection and or dust testing. This is what's going to drive a lot of that is you start with the risk assessment to figure out what you need and, and where you go from there. It's We get a lot of times we get calls for, we need a quote on flameless vent because the AHJ told us we needed a flameless vent to have on this dust collector inside. And we're going to ask, well, okay, what's your DHA say? What, is there anything else we're looking at? And it's, we, we, what's that? We didn't do that. We just, we know we have five dust collectors. They looked at this one and said, protect it. So you really got to take a step back and make sure you're addressing all your areas and, and kind of set up those, those steps for the, the order of these operations when you're, what you're going to do when and go back towards that budgetary and logistics and, and those things. Yeah, and the sections in this one, I'll just kind of read the mokes. Uh, so I'll be honest, it's it's one of my favorite sections too. <laughs> Risk assessment is. So, you know, history of success in this area, knowledge about my specific equipment, like the equipment in our facility, competency, ensuring that there's going to be a practical approach, testing, and, and long-term commitment are the items that are on there. The kind of point that I want to get across here is it's it's important for a number of reasons to dig into these. One way that it's it's framed a little differently, it's in this checklist, but we talk about when you're finding when you're selecting someone to do a dust hazard analysis or even picking between different options, then sure you have your price, you have you know other elements, but you want to also identify the scope of what's being provided. Because sure you can maybe pay a lower amount for a DHA that the recommendation is gonna be, well, you need, you know, you need to redo your dust collection system. Well, you turn around and say, well, how do I do that? It's like, oh, you got to call this person and, and set up a new job to do that. <laughs> or you need to redo your explosion protection design. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, you got to call, you know, hire another contractor to do that. Or, okay, you need to, you know, be really helpful to couple your DHA process with your testing plan so that you can demonstrate that some of the equipment maybe doesn't need protection because it won't pass a go no go. Okay, how do I do that? Well, you got to find another consultant that, that will do the, the sampling plan, the testing for you. So you want to know what the scope is because those add-on things are going to make up the difference on the price in the front end. So you're paying a couple thousand dollars less on the front end to do your DHA, but then you need to go find whole new net new relationships for dust collection, for exposure protection, for testing. 
it's probably good to identify that up front through a checklist like this and then consider whether or not you want to spend that money up front to have a partner like Fike or, or other companies that provide, you know, just not a one-stop shop, but provide all those kind of things under one, one roof, if you will, at least on the exposure protection, the testing and the analysis side. Does that jive with what you, I mean, you're, you're talking, you're actually explaining it, right? You're saying that people will come in and ask for a piece of equipment and then you ask about the DHA or the hazard analysis and they've skipped that step or been introduced at a different level. So yeah, I, I'm assuming it is important from your perspective to make sure that these elements are included with the partner that you work with. But anything else to add on that in terms of those capabilities, those competencies, anything else to consider? I, I think you, you covered it and then we touched most of it. And so, I mean, even in addition to identifying the risk assessment piece, this probably does tie into solutions and service as well, which is this fourth element. So yeah, any any feedback you have on the risk assessment part or even going into this fourth element for solution and service? Yeah, I mean, I think we can just go right into that that fourth part, the, the solutions and service. And it all ties together. A lot of this stuff ties into the other sections. And so here we're looking at the types of solutions they provide, the types of equipment and systems and service. A great question here is, is there equipment that you don't provide? So it's important to understand if you're talking to someone that if you're looking for explosion protection and you you're not you're not sure do you want it, do you want venting or do you want to have suppression systems and it's important to understand well do who I'm talking to do they offer both are they or is it just kind of one or the other things like that and so really want to look for what is that that guidance that they're going to give you on what what you're choosing for their systems yeah, and I, another one that comes in there is training, right? Absolutely. Do you provide, I don't know if that's under the field, that's uh, an example question. What training do you provide to employees on the solutions and service? So that fits into that piece, right? I'm trying to understand, okay, is it going to be installed and then we can't call you anymore? <laughs> right. <laughs> the relationship's over? Or is there something that can be helped moving with moving forward? Right. And, and actually, that's, I mean, I, I think that goes back to that very beginning when I talked about kind of, I think, why Adam Batts was, and Bruce McClellan were kind of wanting to get this consulting team was, I think, I think his previously in the past, we may have had clients who felt that way that oh, we, we got this equipment, we can't call them again. Unless other than I mean, we do I said, if you have active systems from Fike or anyone else, I mean, those do have quarterly requirements for for monitoring and that that you either got to be trained on or you're going to have that manufacturer come out and do those. So there is a field service aspect for that, but even if there's just questions on, well, how does this operate or what's how does this work? That to to understand what solutions are they going to provide once they've sold you the equipment or sold you that DHA? Yeah, it makes makes a ton of sense to me, and it's that's the value of having multiple expertise. Like like you said, you're a, you're a hazard analysis guy. You also have a, a very heavy PSM background of process safety in that. And then you pair that with somebody who's been designing and implementing explosion protection their entire career. And then you pair that with somebody who's been, you know, some of the folks you have down in, in, in Kansas City that have are actually running test labs and doing full-scale explosions and testing equipment and sort of combining those capabilities together. You come up with a team that can answer a lot of different questions, not just one piece of the combustible dust safety puzzle, if you will. Right. Absolutely. That's one of, that's one of my favorite things working with FIKE is I can... If I if I'm not sure what the what 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 the what the answer is, I can find somebody who does. Yeah, 
That makes a lot of sense. One thing that I, I don't see a box here for, so actually I'll do a recap. We have the four areas that are subject matter expertise, business alignment, risk assessment, and solution and service. Then there's categories under each one, sort of fill in the blanks boxes, and the examples to questions that you can ask your provider, dig into those. I don't see price anywhere on here. <laughs> I thought I should ask about that. You know, why, why is price not included? And two questions. Do you find that's the first thing companies look at? And second, is that the first thing they should be looking at to try to figure out what their needs are going to be? It, it, that, that is always one of the first questions we get is, is, what, it, what is, what is what's this going to cost me? And that, obviously, that's, that's a factor. I mean, when, when you're talking for, for spending money on safety equipment, I mean, we understand why we need to do it and what that benefit is. But if you're looking at it from just a dollar point of view, it, it doesn't make them more money. It could save them money from if there was if there is an incident, but it doesn't make more money for them. And it's always going to be a factor. And we get asked that a lot. And we can when we're talking with someone, we can we can certainly give a kind of ballpark ideas on on where things are of where it might be just early on in the conversation. But that that price is, I mean, it's process specific. It's going to be equipment specific, it's going to be industry specific. So I mean, for a DHA, as an example, I mean, we, we kind of generally have a, a pretty set range where they fall, but it's, are you that small wood shop or are you a large flour mill that's 100 years old? I mean, that's, that, that's going to vary on price. And then the equipment as well, of, I mean, our explosion panels, are, it's a set price for different size things, but how many do you need? What sizes is it? Do you need what additional equipment? So there's, there's a lot of moving parts in there that, that will affect price. I mean, I can say from, from my experience, I think that from us and our, our big name competitors, I think we're all kind of in the similar ballpark, the, be that on those, the DHAs or the, the equipment. If you're getting multiple quotes, if one of them is a lot cheaper than the other ones, that is something to look into a little further is, is, are they quoting, is it apples to apples here? And we've seen it. I mean, and this is not in any way a knock on on like a statewide program because they're very beneficial and have a place, but just kind of a point. We've seen state programs where they have their own engineering teams that will go in and provide, we'll call them assessments for facilities that are small, you know, businesses that are local in that state. But the assessment or whatever they will call it, if they call it dust hazard analysis, that's fine. But what it will state, you know, it will state, we'll have a disclaimer that says, you know, may not have captured all the hazards. <laughs> Um, and then it will also have, you know, that's where you get into, it will identify exposure protection is needed, but won't tell you how or any design criteria. It's really going to be left up to the user owner operator to fulfill the rest of NFPA 652 um, and the requirements there. So if you're only, if you're paying a, a very small rate through that, or even with a provider, then you got to think about well, what's excluded and then what's the cost to get to full compliance because it still is the owner and operator's responsibility to meet the prescriptive or performance-based requirements that are outlined in NFPA 652. And those really cheap hazard analysis are going to say, you know, we didn't cover all the hazards necessarily. We only looked at the, I don't know, dust on the floor and not in, in equipment. Or we only looked at dust collection systems and not your processing operations or your heaters or your mixers or uh, different elements like that. So, yeah, I get it. I, I kind of want to say it's like you get what you pay for. It's not quite like that, but you just want to understand the scope. That's what I come back to. It's like, that's a question you need to be asking. 
is dollar amount plus scope of equipment or scope of hazard analysis. Make sure that that scope is actually going to meet the needs that you have for your facility. And if it's not, then that's when you got to kind of look at it and go, okay, well, maybe that, that price range and that scoping is not going to work for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, we encounter that frequently. I mean, that's a lot. And I was before, before we started this, I was chatting with, with someone else on our team about someone kind of coming in and saying, well, we've got, well, I've, I think I, I had a DHA done. It said, I need to do this. So I need, I need help doing this. And, but I, I need a risk ranking as well, or a risk matrix. Cause I'm not sure what order I'm supposed to do this. Cause they, they didn't give us anything yep. for that. Yeah, they're, it's lacking in an implementation. Another great question to ask in your scoping of your DHA providers is, do you provide a, an implementation plan that can be a risk ranking matrix or some other sort of approach? But, you know, I get this thing, what do I do first, second, third? Right. <laughs> or else you'll have to figure that out on your own and, and you know, get or get somebody else to do it, which then adds to the cost of that DHA. Right. Any sort of examples? I mean, we talked about a couple here now, but anything else? Because I, I know this is experience-based document, <laughs> the different boxes were created. Like I said, I, I was involved with some of the, the brainstorming ideation at the front end for this, but it's sort of like a, you know, what's gone wrong in the past and then, okay, we need to have a checkbox for that. Right. <laughs> are, do you have any examples or case studies or something to walk through for things that may have happened from your experience when companies ignore some of these elements? I could, I could talk all day on this if we wanted to. Is that another podcast episode? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got, but I've got, I've got some, some, some good examples here, but yeah, this is one of those things that I can go for days at a time if I needed to. So, I mean, there's, it kind of breaks down into multiple kind of areas, like be it on incorrect equipment or kind of those DHAs we talked about without that risk ranking or is that protection really needed? But let's focus on that incorrectly installed equipment as an example that I see this so often is, and I can think of, I was at a plant just recently that having explosion relief panels that are either they're going inside the building or they're at, at head level in an occupied area on the sidewalk, the employees walk by that we see that so often. And a lot of then that's where we go back to that talk about educating the, the contractors as well, because that's where a lot of that, I think, came into play. And that the my example I'm thinking of, this was installed less than 10 years ago, but it was probably about nine years ago that this was put in, that they're sourcing a dust collector from an OEM who sources the panels from FIKE or someone someone else. And we have Carson Stevens is our, our EP manager that works directly with OEMs for if you go buy a dust collector from OEM and wants explosion protection on it, he's the one that works with them to get that equipment and sizing and all that. But when you do that, or when a contractor, if FIKE or whoever you're the explosion protection equipment provider is not involved in the process, it's just, it already came with it, is understanding that how it needs to be installed, that if you've got explosion panels, they can't, you can't vent them inside. You can't send them to an occupied area. And so we see that, that's so often is things that were just put in where they're not going to work, where they're either a hazard to the people there, or there'll be a panel that's inches from a wall. So there's, it's not actually going to, that panel open up, but it won't actually relieve the pressure. And that, that dust collector or that equipment could still, wouldn't, wouldn't appropriately relieve. Another good topic that I think we're going to have some information about later this year is on kind of inappropriate use of flameless vents and that we've been doing more research on those and, making sure that 
there are certain vents out there that, that there's certain materials you maybe you don't want to use them with or when they're inside that and some of the fine print may be that well this you where you've put this you now have a classified location because it may not have that particle retention aspect and we find a lot of end users are not aware of that that they think it's um the flameless vent with particle retention it's safe that area is safe if it goes off it's just gonna it's gonna stop the the flame front and capture the the particles and, and there are some there's some equipment out there that doesn't do that and it's in their documentation, but the facility doesn't isn't isn't aware of that. So that's a lot of kind of where we are with equipment that we just see things, and it's really educating to get that mindset and that knowledge out there. Yeah, so I got kind of two groups here for incorrectly installed equipment. I got the the venting supplied on equipment on OEM based equipment, and then installing that in a way that's unsafe venting indoors venting at walkways uh i've, I've seen well, i know i know it was press i can think of whose presentation was but we'll mention there but we've had some presentations at dust safety academy where where folks have had uh you know showed the vent pointing directly at the like the plant manager's window <laughs> so it, it wasn't close enough that it was would impinge that so you'd have flame but it was close enough that it'd probably blow the window out which is unsafe in its own right 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 but so the plant manager, you know, you don't when when that vent releases, you don't want to have it pointing at at things that are unsafe. In that case, it probably would have ruptured the window, and you would add glass, and that that could have been a danger in its own right. So you have that flameless vents, uh, and I guess in a bigger category, this it's like uh, I can't think of the word. I'm gonna say terms of use. That's not the word that I want to. Um, yeah, it's like when you have a, an isolation valve and you you can't use it in certain circuits, like too close to an elbow or something. Right. Um, I can't think of the exact word, but the proper use conditions for different equipment, make sure those are understood and provided and then uh, implemented in that way. Yeah, because it's it's important, right? If you have these in terms of, say, isolation equipment, if it doesn't isolate the flame because it is in an inappropriate location, then you can have that exposure propagate back into the building if it's on inlet line, so on and so forth. Right. Um, right. And any other examples come to mind of, of any of these things? Um, I'll just back to that isolation real quick that you brought up. It just reminded me of at a uh, facility I was at a year ago or so. They told me they had explosion protection and isolation on their dust collectors. And they pointed out their flat valve that they had for isolation and then looking at like, okay, well, that's not installed right. It's way too close to the unit. And then realize it's a, it's just a fire dampener. It'll close if there's an event. It's to stop a fire from going back into the building. It is not a, um, an, ice, an explosion isolation device at all. And they were under the impression that that's what it was. And I have to tell them, well, no, that's that's not going to isolate it. That's it's not uncommon. And it was, and in some cases, this is kind of newer, new construction or newer installations. And it was really comes down to is just a disconnect from the end user to the contractor to the equipment provider and understanding where this equipment is going, what that process is and all those things. And I'll give you one more cause I know we're sort of trading <laughs> stories and, and that, but we'll, we'll do one more cause I, I wish I knew where the video was, but I can't think of it. Um, I, I think I know the test lab, but there's a video of a, a undervented dust collector. We'll say quite large one. And the the thrust with which it produces would be the same as if you put it too close to the wall. You kind of have the same conditions, but it knocks the thing right over. <laughs> so you have the danger. If that's kind of what can happen, if you place it too close to a wall, right? Like 
you may you may one rupture the dust collector if it's not strong enough to withstand the increased um, pressure. That's that's one bad outcome, and then you know you may have jetting, and, and there's all kinds of bad things happen when you rupture the vessel. But the vessel may also fall over from the thrust <laughs> of of um, shooting out against that wall, and and some of these things can be quite large, and that's not good either. <laughs> that's expensive at at the at the smallest level to fix, and, and quite dangerous at the highest level if you have occupation in that area as well. And if I could think of that video, I'd bring it up. But it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, this thing falling over because it like took off like a rocket almost. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll leave. It was kind of like a cartoon, like but. Uh, we'll leave it at that. If somebody knows that video, definitely email it to me, chris at dustsafetyscience.com, and we'll put it up in, probably in the Dust Safety Academy. He's got a whole whack of videos in there. Um, we'll put it with this podcast episode. Any any closing words on this, Jeff, of this topic of explosion protection, finding good partners working in this area? Any words of the wisdom you'd like to leave folks off with today? Um, sure. I First, when, if, they're not sure, if you're not sure on what you need for explosion protection or dust hazard analysis and trying to find good partners. Our first is reach out to Chris, go to dust safety science. I mean, there's still, there's still cases where I reach out to Chris. If I'm, you know, and I'm, I haven't found, this is a, an odd one. I'm going to, I'll reach out to him for, for questions on things. Yeah, we get it quite a bit. So it's good. And that's the point of, of dust safety science and dust safety professionals and our help desk is if you had a question, no matter where you're in the world, we're hoping to get you an answer within 24 to 72 hours. That's our KPI. And we get straight, the, I know I mentioned the flame restaurant on the naval ship. That was actually from a dust safety professional member company that had a request of them. And they said, well, we don't do this, <laughs> but then they just put the request into to our team. And, and like I said, within less than a week, within a couple of days, they were able to turn around to their clients and say, Hey, yep, here's three providers that do, because you need certain certifications to do naval ships too. <laughs> um, I, I forget what they are, but you know, you need to be able to to make sure that you're certified to work in that area. And so we were able to get those through, but yeah, if you have any questions, send them to me. I appreciate that showed up. <laughs> what else? Um, so then kind of reiterate what we said before, it's not a one size fits all approach. And if you haven't, if you haven't done that DHA or the risk analysis and you just want to start looking at protection, take that step back and, and go through that process and make sure you've, you've, you've completed that before you're trying to select explosion protection. One of the thing I, I, skipped over it earlier, but uh, that I, I do want to put out there for those end users that have this equipment is make sure you ha- get that documentation that comes with it. Cause I mean, that's part of the NFPA requirements is you do have to maintain that. That's, that's how this equipment was sized. What, what, what parameters were used? Make sure you have that another, and then plug myself here, go to if fight.com. We have our website's got you see all of our services and our equipment. We we relaunched it a couple months ago to completely revamp the site to kind of go through. It kind of t- kind of follows the journey that this uh, checklist does. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so, fike.com is a great resource. If I could find it, we'll we'll get it. There's a, a really good contact us page. The other site that's a good resource, also run by Fike, is is it's dusthazardanalysis.com, but it's dust-hazard-analysis.com. You go there. Oh, they got to get you on video, Jeff. I don't see Brian, but they have some really good videos <laughs> of walking through different elements of DHAs. It's totally an educational resource. We've had it featured in the Dust Safety Journal recently or things you can expect from a fight dust hazard analysis. But that's a really good education resource. And then right there, there's a, a contact form as well for a free one-hour consultation. My guess is they probably won't, it probably won't take an hour. Right. <laughs> send to those and they'll be able to get, it's like uh, the Indiana Jones where the, 
the guy's spinning around with the knife and the, the sword and and going all nuts and then he pulls out a pistol and and <laughs> shoots him it's like yeah you could do all these crazy things but i'm sure one of the fight guys can just answer your question that's the right way to go in in pretty quick timeline absolutely so i definitely recommend going there check that out yeah like i said you said i'm not on any of the videos you're right i think we do have plans for i think we're going to be making some new videos some new resources this year our marketing team's got a lot a lot planned so i know I, i'm in some pictures up there but yeah i'm not i'm not in the videos yet but i think that that's coming so they'll be you know you're 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 your day in the in the limelight is coming, Jeff. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I do want to say thank you again for coming on for this podcast episode. I do want to say thank you to for Fike for really all the work they've done for a long, long time in explosion protection from testing, you know, decades and decades and decades ago to hazard analysis today to trying to solve some of the larger challenges. We've that episode with Bruce and Jim, we talked about the isolation valve testing program there that that bike undertook i i the thing that i appreciate about the work that you and your team does one you're good so that's that's great <laughs> but but two if like is going above and beyond to answer some of the bigger challenges that our community has and throwing research dollars and research time into behind that into solving those sort of challenges as well so i appreciate that when the Flameless event stuff happens, let me know. That'd make a great podcast episode or a great presentation as well. And um, look for a chance to getting you back on the podcast. If this ever comes a video podcast, you'll be the first one I, I, <laughs> I invite All so right. you can get some practice on the big screen. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jeff. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Jeff Davis, Senior Explosion Safety Consultant with Fight Corporation. We're discussing this Fike Explosion Protection Partner Checklist. Again, this was something that the folks at Fike and myself had sort of brainstormed on quite a while ago and has finally sort of came to fruition, put the checklist together, and it is out there now and available on the Fike website. Uh, again, we'll have show notes in this episode at dustsavyscience.com slash 214 for this episode. Those are numbers 214. I didn't get that there. In the episode, we covered some of the background of Fike and Jeff's work. We talked about the reason why this checklist was put together. And again, it was really like to try to stop the siloing that might happen in, in some of these disciplines, right? So it's you write explosion protection, but you don't answer questions on hazard analysis. Or you do hazard analysis, but you don't provide support for combustible dust testing. And some of those things have come together to have some providers provide these more holistic solutions where they can tackle the different challenges together. And depending on your needs as a company or your needs as an OEM or your needs even as a consultant or a contractor that comes in, you really want to match those to understand what you're, you're getting with the partners that you're working from. So the, the checklist itself is broken into four areas, subject matter expertise, business alignment, risk assessment, and solution and service. And then each one has you know, three to five subcomponents. Talking about key elements there. And you can kind of print it off. You can take notes. You can use it as a, a way to brainstorm. What I mentioned is that I really like the questions they have, you know, included in each of these sections. And we even added probably some other questions here, like what is the scope of the hazard analysis if that's what we're doing? Or what is the, what's provided for documentation for the equipment that we're getting? Because those are important things to ask to understand, you know, what you're getting at the end of the day for your hazard analysis, what you're getting for the type of equipment that you're using. So we talk about the different elements. We share a number of stories on things that can go wrong when one of these are ignored. I won't rehash the stories, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell one more that can happen. If you do a dust hazard analysis and determine, okay, these are the areas that you have hazards. 
you have them at these five nodes in your plant and you get your dust tested and it comes back with, you know, worst case KST values that you took from the light fixture. And if you apply that to all five nodes, you may end up with very expensive explosion protection requirements. But if you add somebody who's more um, understanding of the dust testing process, more understanding of, of more holistic hazard analysis, they may come back to you and say, hey, you know, if we're willing to spend a little bit of money on more dust testing, maybe test, do screening tests at these individual nodes. Some of these can be excluded or some of these might have much lower KST values than using the worst case conditions. So you may pay a little bit more upfront, but in a lot of those cases, you're going to end up with a lot um, cheaper solution while maintaining the same level of safety in terms of what your overall uh, explosion protection criteria is. So the point I want to make with that last story is you're never going to get that as an option if you're working with a provider that just doesn't have that experience, that expertise, those connections to work with. That's kind of some of the things that we're trying to get out of this here today. So again, you can check out the show notes of this episode. You can grab the cheat sheet there or this checklist there rather. I want to thank Jeff for his time today. I want to thank Bike for all the work that they do as well. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything that you're doing in the industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you do every day.